Unmute. Unmute. Good morning, everyone. How are we? Hope we are doing well. I'm going to slightly adjust myself. I'm a little too close to the podium. I got a little carried away when I when I pulled in here, and the COVID podium was going to cut off my ability to breathe. And usually speaking uh, requires breathing. So there we go. That's a little bit better. Every time I fill in, I go back and forth. Should I use my wheelchair? Should I use one of the big, you know, bright blue and chrome stools? And, you know, they each have their advantages and disadvantages, right? We, we don't live in a world of perfect solutions. We live, in many cases, in a world of trade-offs. And so the chair is easier to get in and out of. The uh, stool has more surface area for seating. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, do you do this? Do you do that? And so today we're in the chair, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, if you want to turn with me to Hebrews... Uh, chapter 12, that's kind of where we'll begin. Again, uh, for those of you that are visiting, I am not the uh, usual uh, uh, person up here. Uh, Chuck uh, Webster is our uh, preaching minister. He is not here, and so uh, you drew the short straw by being here today while I'm here. Uh, but hopefully we will be able to think about some things together in this portion of our worship service uh, that can be of benefit. All of our worship uh, is is hopefully glorifying to God and also is beneficial for us. This is just one part of our worship service. Uh, it's the time where we uh, concentrate and focus on God speaking to us through His Word. Uh, and so we are grateful to be able to have that opportunity. So the uh, I guess if you want to have a title for the lesson this morning, it's Following Our Leader. We're familiar with that concept of following the leader, right? In fact, there's a, a song, follow the leader, the leader, the leader. I think it goes something like that. Very complex lyrics on that one. Uh, we're taught that song at a young age, and, and when we're in kindergarten, we have um, you know, little experiments or exercises or what have you where we are doing just that, where we are following the leader. We're teaching young people the importance of following the leader as parents. If you're a parent, you know this. If you uh, once had a parent or still have a parent, you know this. Uh, the whole notion there that children have to be taught is that the parents are the leaders and, and you are to follow them. Um, and so... Uh, at our house, we like to play Star Trek, uh, and Nigel likes to play uh, at the, being the captain. Uh, and sometimes we have to remind him that even though you're the captain, we're still in real life the parents. And so, you know, it's, he's a captain. Does a captain outrank a parent? I don't know how that works. And so uh, it's something you have to sort of figure out as you go. Uh, but this notion of following the leader, and the song that we just sang, uh, Where He Leads, I Will Follow, that's what I want us to think about uh, for a few minutes this morning. So the, the text... Uh, that, that we had read uh, that we're going to sort of use as our springboard uh, might not seem necessarily the most obvious text that we could go to. Uh, we could, for example, have looked at other passages. We could look at John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus very famously says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, we could have looked at the multiple occasions in the Gospels in which Jesus told people, commanded them to follow him, right? If you, if you do a search for follow me, in the Gospels, you will see several occasions where Jesus gave that command uh, to folks. And so we could have looked at a lot of different passages along those lines, but we're here in Hebrews. Uh, what's that all about, really? Uh, well, it has to do with verse 2. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the reading was from the King James. Uh, I'm going to read the, the, the English Standard, but then we're going to talk about a rendering that's not found in either of those translations um, regarding one of the nouns uh, in verse number 2. And I know we started back to school, 
And so young people, I'm sorry to have brought up grammar just then with the word noun. I'll try to not do that uh, because it's our first weekend after school starts, at least for many of us, and let's not think about school. And he's still talking about school. He's I'm sorry making you think about school, but he keeps saying school. Stop it. Okay. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's read it again. Therefore... And, of course, that's referencing what has come before in chapter 11, Faith's Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith, whatever you want to call it. All of these individuals throughout history who by faith did something. By faith, verb. Moses by faith, verb. Abraham through faith, verb, and so on. Given all of these folks, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, so that, that first, I'm going to have to say it again, noun in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder. So the English standard renders that founder. Other translations might render that something along the lines of, of I think some translations have even rendered that prince. The word that's used... Uh, the actual Greek word is not found very often in the New Testament. And in fact, I believe it's four times it's found. And two of them, half of them, are found in the book of Hebrews. Uh, so you have this verse and you have back in chapter 2, verse 10. This word is used both times. The Hebrew writer uses this word as a word to uh, refer to Jesus. Uh, and the word is a compound word. Um, and a lot of words in Greek are compound words. I looked it up, um, and it's a combination of a prefix, um, arche. I guess you have to probably go, right? So arche, but that doesn't sound pleasant, so we'll just say arche. Uh, and then another word, and, and that word arche, you may think about like uh, archangel. Maybe I started to say that, and maybe you thought of that. Well, that's, that's kind of right, actually, as it turns out, because that, that, that prefix sort of means like supreme or, or chief or something along those lines. And then the other word that, that makes this compound word is a word that means a leader or a guide. Uh, and that's interesting because when we think about someone being a leader and then we think about somebody being a guide, that might bring to our minds slightly different connotations. Hopefully it doesn't. A good leader probably has this quality. But when you think about someone who's a guide, so maybe you've gone to a museum and there's a museum guide there. Uh, and maybe you, you go around and follow this museum guide and this person tells you about the museum. Or maybe you go hiking or something and there's a guide there. What does that mean? But somebody who has experience and who is probably, for example, if you're talking about hiking or something like that, it's somebody who's gone down the trail before. The, 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 the museum guide has looked at these things before and has studied them before. And that's the word that the Hebrew writer uses to describe Jesus. He is the, uh, the I believe the NIV renders it pioneer, uh, the pioneer of our faith. Um, and that's not that bad of a translation. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a a bit of an interpretation as well, but it, it, it kind of gets to this idea that, that it is one who is the chief leader, the chief guide. Uh, Jesus has blazed a path, if you will, and we as Christians have a responsibility to follow him. And so that's why I started in that passage, because we are reminded, notice, after looking at all of these folks who by faith verbed, by faith did something, then we get to this application to us, and that is, since we're surrounded by these folks, 
We should lay aside also, presumably like they did, every weight and sin that clings closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. But notice, rather than ending it there, the Hebrew writer says, and who should we be looking to? Not them necessarily, although of course they're in view here, but to Jesus, who is the one who has gone on ahead. He has, he has led the way. You think about the idea of following a leader. You want the leader to be qualified and to know what he or she is talking about, right? Uh, this whole sort of cliche about you know, men not wanting directions. Uh, it's probably true in some cases, not true in others. Um, but, of course, now, I remember back when I was younger, and I sound like the old guy, I remember when I in my day, we didn't have... Google Maps and things like that. And you'd, you'd print out a map. You'd rand McNally and you would buy the big map and you would fold it out and you would, I'm, we're going to go here and we're going to go there. You know, now we just let the computer tell us where to go. Remember one time Liz and Nigel and I were going to Gatlinburg and Google decided that the, um, the, the traffic on the main route, because I think we were, had been at her father's house and so we were coming from there to, to Gatlinburg, I believe. Anyway, the Google thought that the, uh, the, the, the traffic was just too heavy. So Google, you know, the Google lady, the Google gal, as I like to call her because I'm strange, uh, decided to be helpful by taking us away from all of the traffic through like back road of the back road of the back road of the back road in like right around Gatlinburg. Uh, so those of you that have gone to Backwoods Christian Camp, like take that and multiply it by a couple of levels. Uh, and so it was it's like, you know, Google, you've probably never been here, little robot, and so I hope you know what you're doing. Um, and so this idea of you need to be following someone who knows what they are doing. So here's the deal. Jesus has called us to follow him. And in so doing, he has made a very reasonable request. He's not asking us to follow someone who is just winging it, uh, who is figuring it out as he or she goes. He is asking us to follow him, and he is uniquely the one who is best qualified to be a leader. That's why he is the, this archaeagos. Uh, he is this, this chief leader. He's the best one that you could think of. He is the paradigm. He is the example. He is the model of what it means to be a leader. Look at with me in Romans chapter 6. See, here's the thing about humanity. We have been given something marvelous, something that uh, philosophers and theologians have pondered for centuries because it is wonderful and yet it, it, it sort of is mind-boggling at the same time. And that is God has given us free will. I submit to you the Bible teaches that God has given us the ability to make choices, to make choices that are not the choices that he would want us to make. He chose to give us free will. He did not have to do that, but he chose to do that. And so we are free, but we as humans are still likely to follow someone. And that's what, the Hebrew, excuse me, that's what Paul says. That's the point Paul is making in Romans chapter 6. Let's start looking at verse number 15. Paul has been talking about having died to sin and being alive to Christ and, and the fact that we are not under the law of Moses as Christians, but we are under a law of liberty or law of grace, however you want to put it. Um, and so he's been talking about that. And in fact, in verse 14, he says, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And then, as Paul has a tendency to do, Paul imagines a sort of a, a hypothetical critic or skeptic who would raise an objection to what Paul just said. 
Uh, and so he just says that sin won't have dominion over you because you are not under law but under grace. And so then he imagines uh, a skeptic or a, a, a right snarky fellow saying, well, should we then, let's just keep sinning then since we're not under law but under grace. If you remember the book of Romans, you know that Paul does this sort of thing a couple of different times. So he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Some translations uh, render that as God forbid, but it, the word God is not in there. It's actually just a couple of negatives. In English, double negatives are bad. I brought up grammar again. I'm sorry. But in English, double negatives are bad. But in Greek, they're perfectly acceptable, and it was a way to really strongly say no. And so it's sort of the strongest way you can object. And so Paul is saying, by no means, no way, no how, no sir. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one to whom you obey. Either, and we got an either here, so it's going to be either A or B. Maybe a C, but he's going to list the options here. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, which we have those limitations as well. He says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So here's the thing. Even though we are humans that have been endowed with free will, we are still typically going to follow something. And Paul tells us there's really only two options here. Sin or obedience. Now, we could sort of drill down and, and subdivide those different categories out. And really, obedience is just the one. When we think about disobedience, when we think about sin, we could sort of divide that further. We could think about uh, this idea of if we are going to be slaves of sin, if we're going to be following sin, what does that mean? Well, it could be that we're going to follow the world. We're going to follow whatever the world, our society at the time says is important or is valuable. Uh, we're going to sort of go along with the crowd. We're going to allow majority uh, opinion to sort of dictate what we do, perhaps because we want to fit in, perhaps because uh, we don't want to uh, be outside of the norm, uh, because perhaps we're just convinced uh, and duped by society into believing certain things. Um, and so it might be the world. Um, it might be, in fact, ourselves. Same chapter, Romans chapter 6. Back up to verse number 12. Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments uh, for righteousness. And then we actually get back to where we just were looking at. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body, verse 12 again, to make you obey its passions. Again, God created us and not just made us souls, but made us souls in bodies. You ever thought about that? You, know, you think about angels. Angels are an interesting topic, and yet we don't know a whole lot about them. It seems that they could take different forms. They didn't appear to have, they don't appear to have physical bodies in the same way that, <clears throat> excuse me, that we do. God created us differently than them. You know, sometimes people think, well, why did God make us the way that, we did, that he did? He could have made us differently. Yes, he could have. 
Uh, and in fact, we have examples of, of where he created beings different than us. But he made us. And he made us the way that he did. And that was his choice. That was his prerogative as the sovereign creator. He had the ability to do that. He was under no obligation either way. And he chose to create us. And he made us with these bodies that have certain desires and, and, and needs. And, and our bodies say, hey, let's sleep now. Let's wake up now. Let's eat now. Let's do this now. Let's do that now. Um, and these things that our bodies tell us to do... We have a responsibility to either give in to those or to not give in to those. And what Paul is telling us <clears throat> is that when we give in to those, we are often, or at least the passions, uh, we are therefore letting sin reign in our mortal bodies. So sometimes it's the world. Sometimes it's, you know, my body's telling me something. And again, our bodies can change. It's not that what our bodies tell us are always bad, but sometimes if we're in a bad mood, if we're tired, if we're hangry, you know what hangry is, right? We all know what hangry is. I remember when I was younger, people didn't, didn't seem to know what hangry was. I mean, we knew about it in my household because I sometimes would get hangry. And now I'm, feel, I'm very gratified that society sort of realized this in a general sense, apparently. Your blood sugar is important. Um, and so various things can affect uh, the way that our, the, the messages that our body gives us, but we have the choice whether we become slaves to our own bodies <clears throat> or slaves to the world and to what seems fashionable and trendy and so on, or whether we choose on this other side to be slaves of obedience, to be servants of God. Again, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. He tells us repeatedly we are to follow Him. And again, this makes sense because He is the standard. <clears throat> There are several different arguments for the existence of God, sort of philosophical arguments that, that, um, that you could look at if you were coming to this question of does God exist without any sort of preconceptions and, and you're not even to the point of looking at various documents that claim to be inspired by God. You're just sort of thinking about it. Does God exist? And there's a couple of different categories of arguments. O-C-T-M, four typical ones, right? There's the ontological argument, the cosmological argument, teleological argument, moral argument. There's variations of all of those. And in the moral argument, the moral argument for God's existence basically, in a nutshell, boils down to if God doesn't exist, there are no objective moral standards, but there are objective moral standards, therefore God has to exist. That's sort of, in a nutshell, not... I didn't sort of put that in a nice philosophically rigorous fashion, but that's the basic idea. And that first premise, that if there is no God, then there are no objective moral values. Now, there might be subjective moral values. That is, there might be opinions. Well, I think we ought to do this because I think that's good for people. And someone else says, well, I think we ought to do this other thing, the exact opposite of what you said, because I think this will be good for people. And so without God, people can have preferences. People can, well... Of course, how could people exist without God? But assuming somehow you could have people without a God, without God existing, you might be able to have people having preferences. But there is no standard to say, I'm sorry, you're wrong. That's not right. That is immoral. That is correct. That is moral. I mean, think about it. Moral value is just a type of value. Values are something that happen up here. If, if, if humans just happen to exist and accidentally there is no standard to, to arbitrate between the various humans and their various opinions about what they like and what they don't like. But if that which exists because it exists, as God probably was referring to, uh, many people at least think, when he was talking to, uh, to Moses and he says, I am that I am. If that which exists because it exists is mind, then you can have objective 
moral value. You may have heard about this. We're going to move off of this real quick. Just got a couple minutes left. You may have heard about this idea of the euthyphro dilemma. It's this idea that, well, is something good because God decrees that it's good? Or does God decree something is good because it is good? You ever heard that? Um, and so it's, it's sort of trying to get at this question of sort of where does this idea of, of value come from? Well, we we'll submit to you that, that as we study God's Word and as we think through this, what we realize is that it's not that, that there's a standard of goodness that, that God arbitrarily wrote. And it's not that there's a standard of goodness that stands above God. It's that God is goodness. That, that when we think about, when we talk about good, we're just talking about an aspect of who God is. And so when we think about following the leader, he is the only leader that makes sense to follow because he is goodness, he is accuracy, he is truth. All right, I want to make a quick point as, as we begin to rack as to rack up? No, as we begin to, to wrap up. Um, and to do that, I need to make an illustration. And it's, here's a little, little warning, real quickly, okay? As I make this illustration, as we go through this together, if you are married, or if you are engaged, or if you have a significant other, or even a really close friend, I advise you to not glance over at them as we go through this. You're going to be tempted to, perhaps... It might, in fact, be very reasonable for you to do such a thing, but I submit it might be just as reasonable for them to look at you. And so, I'm trying to keep everybody calm and everybody happy, so eyes forward, eyes on me, all right? Just trying to keep everybody good. Ready? All right, so what are you having for lunch? Have you figured that out yet? Have you figured out what you're going to have for lunch yet? Maybe, maybe you've got lunch figured out, but what about dinner? Now, when, when, when people are, 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 are married or in a relationship, many times they're eating together, and so they'll be asking, you know, now, now there's the, what do you want for dinner? Well, I, what do you want for dinner? I don't know, what do you want for dinner? There's that. Don't, 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 don't look, keep right here, right here, right here, okay? But then there's the other one. The other one is, well, you decide what we want to have for dinner, or you decide what we're going to have for dinner. Right here, right here. You decide. Now, as someone who has observed humanity for a long time, I have observed that that question can actually have two different meanings, even though it's phrased the same way. You know, you decide what we're going to have for dinner. That request, on the one hand, can have one meaning. On the other hand, can have a very different meaning. So how can you figure it out? Well, if you say, uh, let's see, uh, you decide what we're going to have for lunch. Okay, we're going to have chicken. Okay. That's one variation. What are we going to have for lunch? You decide what we're going to have for lunch. We're going to have chicken. No, that's not it. But what you, you told me to figure out what to have for lunch, and I said something, and you said, no, that's not it. Don't look at other people. Look at me. You've done it too. Don't look at your spouse and say, oh, that's what he does all the time. That's what she does all the time. We all do it, folks. So we say, we say, you make this decision, and then they make the decision, and you go, no, that ain't it. Well, then you really weren't asking them to make the decision. I wasn't really asking them to make the decision. Really, what we're asking there is something along the lines of, I can't figure out right now exactly what I want to eat, so I want you to offer suggestions to help me figure out and make the decision. And that's perfectly legitimate, that's perfectly fine, but that's a lot of words to say. Uh, and so we, we put it that way. Now, now what, what's the point? Well, the point is that sometimes, here's the danger... The danger is that we as humans might approach God in that same way. That is, you make the decision, God. I will follow wherever you lead. Where you lead, I will follow anywhere 
that you tell me to. And then you tell me to go there, and I go, oh, no, wait a minute, not, not that, though. Because even though we might say the words, and even though we might you know, sort of think that we mean the words of you make the decision, the human tendency, again, for all of us is I will follow you wherever you lead as long as basically I'm okay with it. And then once I'm no longer okay with it, well, then I don't want to follow you. That's not necessarily following, right? That's just you happen to be going my way. So I will go in the same direction that you're going. But then when you want us to go a different direction, I'm going to go a different direction. Why? Because I wasn't really following you. We just happen to be going at some point in the same direction. Long human history with this. Genesis chapter 2. You get the fall of man. Well, actually, uh, let's see. We could take a look. Well, time-wise, probably don't need to. Chapter 3, uh, when you get into the story, uh, you're familiar with the story, so we won't take the time to read it. But notice that Eve had been given instruction by Adam. Adam had given, been given instruction by God, follow me, do these things, and you know, tend the garden, so on. Don't eat of this tree. And the human tendency was, I'll follow you, God, until I don't want to follow you anymore. Until you're going a direction I don't want to go. And then, then Eve variated. Variated? That's not a word. She deviated. That's a word. Deviated from what, from what God commanded. We're going to close with Proverbs chapter 3. Passage that we might be familiar with. It's one of my favorites. Because it speaks to the limits of our, of our understanding. Talking about following the leader. God is the perfect leader. He is the only one. Notice we are never told to trust in the preacher with all of our hearts and lean not on our, on our own understanding. Or the deacon, or the elder, or the Bible class teacher, or the uncle, or the aunt, or the whoever it may be. Not because those are bad people, but because they are not the source. They are not the perfect chief leader or God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with most of your heart until something comes up that you don't quite agree with, that Nick doesn't quite agree with. No, of course that's not what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Our understanding is finite. Uh, we make mistakes. We don't see the full picture. We don't, basically when you boil it down to it, boil it down, we don't have all the information and we don't process information perfectly. It's that simple. God knows everything and God is perfect in thought. We are neither of those things. And so we, with our finite perspective and our, our fallible intellect, have the choice. Do I lean on my own understanding and let God decide what I'm going to have for lunch until it's not what I want, or am I going to truly submit? And again, we don't have any moral obligations to submit to one another about what we have for lunch, but we have a moral obligation to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to not lean on our own finite, limited, fallible understanding. In all our ways, we are to acknowledge Him, and if we do that, He will make straight our paths. So next time you hear somebody saying, follow the leader, the leader, or uh, you find yourself in a situation where you're following, or... If you're trying to figure out what you have for lunch or dinner or whatever it may be, I hope maybe that that will remind you of this point, this human tendency to go our own way, and that the challenge that we continually face is to not do that, 
but to truly trust in the one who is the standard, who is goodness and correctness and righteousness. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, we encourage you. If you are someone who is not a Christian, but you understand that you have sin in your life and that Jesus died for you and you are willing to follow him, to, to heed that call through faith, uh, repentance, confession, baptism, you can be a Christian this morning. We'd love to help you with that. If you're a Christian that has fallen away and you want to come home, if there's a way we can help you with that, if there's any way that we can help, if you just need prayers for strength and encouragement, please let us know right now as you stand and we sing.